Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Shaq, and I'm so glad that you all you all can join us this morning. Um, but I want to start our time with a, a, just a crazy experience I had. So the week before Christmas, Ruth and I and some friends from Garden City went to the movies, and we saw the movie Spider-Man No Way Home. So just for your, just FYI, I am a Marvel fan in progress. So what I'm about to share may be a spoiler alert. So if anyone who ever seen the movie, I'm going to share some of the movie for you. Um, the movie was great. There was a lot of action. There's a lot of mystery, but there was a scene in the movie that highlighted trauma and grief. So after the death of a loved one, Spider-Man is sitting on his rooftop alone in grief, and he is met by his friends who bring along his counterparts from other universes. The current Spider-Man is devastated and ready to give up his plan. The multiverse cannot undo his loss, so he tells the other versions of himself, don't act like you know what I'm going through. It's all my fault. It happened because of me. So in response to his pain and shame, McGuire and Garfield's character offer similar stories of grief and loss and shame. They tell stories about Uncle Ben and stories about Gwen. They also showed him what happens when Spider-Man um, allows grief and anger to harden him. They encourage him not to take revenge upon his enemies, but to do what is right and to finish the plan of the loved one. All three versions of the Peter Parker experience unimaginable loss and all through his struggle to cope with it. However, they all were courageous in entering in each other's suffering without judgment. So I wanted to share this scene because it relates to what we're going to talk about in Exodus 16. But before we do that, let's review Amanda's sermon last week in Exodus 14. Exodus 14 is a chapter of their departure from Egypt. And while they are leading their way out, while Moses is leading them out, they see that the pharaohs, that they see that the Egyptians are coming behind them. The people are panicking. They're asking and telling Moses, why have you brought us out into wilderness to die? You should have kept us back in Egypt. So Moses responds to them. He tells them, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch that the Lord will rescue you today. So Amanda told us and taught us how to be still and, and to know that God is going to rescue us and deliver us from the prison of sin and self and lead us to a place that is new, a place that is a place of promise and a place that um, that our hearts desperately need. So after that chapter, the people get to dry land. They are now having a song of diff, uh, a deliverance with Miriam and Moses. They sing the song with celebration. They are giving thanks to God. They are celebrating in victory. And soon after that, they move away from the Red Sea into the desert of Shur, where they are traveling three days without water. And they come to the oasis of Myra, but the water there was too bitter. They start to complain about Moses and Aaron again. They start to say, why have you brought us into the wilderness? 
So Moses cries out to the Lord, and, and the Lord tells him to throw a piece of wood into the water. And when he throws the water, when he throws the wood into the water, the, the water becomes drinkable. So after that, they are very satisfied. They move on to the place of Elam, where they are just resting. It's almost like this place of retreat, a place of rest, where they are sitting around palm trees, sitting near water. And 15 ends that way. And then we begin in chapter 16, where they now are moving to the wilderness, the wilderness of sin. So this is not, again, I just want to put this out here. This is not just a story for theological feel-goods or just a story of liberation, but it's a story where God meets us in the wilderness to speak to our trauma, to reveal who he is, and to offer us true rest. So we'll pray, and then we'll read um, Exodus 16, verse 1 to 12, and then we'll begin talking about that trauma of Israel. So let's pray and um, enjoy our time together. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? We lay our hearts before you, asking you to heed to it and speak to it and massage it so that we may know that you are the Lord. Would you speak through me this morning? Would your words carry through the screens? Would your words carry through the audio? Would your words carry through this technology, tech, technical device here, Lord? And I pray that your word would help us really look at our own trauma this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm just going to read um, Exodus 16, verse 1 to 12. Um, I'm reading from the NLT version. I'm going to read off my phone. If you have your own device, your own Bible, you can follow along with me, um, and then we'll kind of go forward from there. It starts off like this. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin. Between Elam and Mount Sinai, they arrived there on a the 15-day on the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord has killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they needed for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare, there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening, you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which are against him not us. What we done that you should complain about us. Then Moses added, the Lord will give you meat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning. For he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Then Moses said to Aaron, announce, to, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. 
And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out towards the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Then the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the Israelites complaining. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat. In the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That's awesome there. For just a quick moment, I know the kids are off the, um, the, the Zoom here. I want us to, to get in a posture of imagination. Um, if we can, I invite you all just to kind of close your eyes and kind of picture yourselves and your families in the sandals of these Israelites. And ask yourself these questions. What sounds do you hear? What smells do you sense? What emotions emerge? What is your body communicating? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you skeptical? Are you dreadful? Are you powerless? Or are you like me? solution-driven, try to fix it? What kind of questions would you ask Moses and Aaron? What would you tell your family? Sit with that. Okay, you can open up your eyes now. You can write your observation of yourself in the chat, you can utilize the chat and say, you know what, I, I felt very anxious in that moment because it's change or I felt very social driven, whatever it is. Like, I want you to, to if, it, if you're not comfortable putting in the chat, you can have time in your journal to really feel that, that scene there of not having everything you need, but you're, you're in the desert, you're hot. Okay, let's move forward from that. We're going to, unpack the Israel's deep-rooted trauma. And FYI, I'm not a licensed social worker who specialized in trauma, but I just wanna go based off my reading, go based off my friends who are really good in explaining trauma to me. But trauma is an emotional response to a deeply distressing and disturbing event. It could be as small as a concussion, it can be as chronicle as rape and domestic abuse, whatever it is, trauma, that's what it is. So in verse one, the author communicates this. They, the Israelites, arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. The Israelites have been traveling for 31 days from Goshen. They're exhausted. They're hot, they're hungry, they're irritable. They arrive in an unfamiliar place. They're vulnerable, there's no control, no dependence, and they're faced with the threat of annihilation. So when someone is vulnerable, it evokes a range of emotions. So for people who are reliving a trauma, nothing makes sense. 
So the Israelites are trapped in a life or death situation, a state of paralyzing fear and blind rage. So in contrast to seeing the mighty hand of God at the Red Sea and worshiping with Moses and Aaron and Miriam, the traces of spiritual, psychological, emotional, physical trauma still plagues them. Their bodies have been hunted for 400 plus years. The loss of self, the numbing pain of abuse and oppression have left its mark. So where do they start? How do they undo all the damages that has been done to them? How? So when this system of security fails, their trauma begins to speak. In verse two, they say, it says, there too, the whole community of Israel complaining about Moses and Aaron. Notice that the people are not complaining to Moses and Aaron, but they are complaining about Moses and Aaron, which means that the Israelites are accusing them of doing something wrong, something unjust. This collective trauma and transitional stress continues in verse three. They say, if only the Lord killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now we have, but now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. So they are essentially accusing Moses of attempted murder, attempted genocide. So how do you think Moses was triggered by this? From his earlier in Exodus, he, he killed someone already. So this his history, like how did this um, trigger his ability to lead? So the scriptures don't really share Moses' response to the accusation, but I'm sure it did affect him. It reopened a wound of his, the womb of shame, the wound of killing someone in his past. See, trauma affects not only those who are directly exposed to it, but those who are around them. For a story of myself about a trauma story about my own, I learned it through foster care. Foster care taught me a few things about my own trauma and secondhand trauma. There were moments when um, our foster son would have explosions of anger that were rooted in this fear of losing control. This brought me out of an unhealthy sense of control and powerlessness. The moments when I couldn't control the explosions, the moments when I couldn't stop him from destroying my home and destroying the valuable things in my home, I felt sorrowful. I remember days and nights when I would sit with Ruth at night, like, I just don't know what to do. I want to control the peace in my home, but when I can't, I feel depressed. So that was my story of trauma, my own trauma of trying to control things in my life. And when I can't control them, I become sad and sorrowful. Many of us can relate to that story because we're people of control also. So to add on to the false accusations about Moses and Aaron, they said this, in Egypt, 
we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. How well, I was laughing when I heard this. It's like, how well do they remember Egypt? Is this honestly how Pharaoh kind of treated them? Like, what are they saying? So this is the language of addiction, the language of denial. During their time in Egypt, they hated it. They cried out against it. They have been set free and now they want to go back. They think of it as something good and desirable. Does not make sense at all. When you read that, it's like, why do you want to go back to that? See, even though they were set free from slavery, they had not learned how to be, think, and work out their liberation. See, the enemy manipulated their trauma to keep them in the dark and to believe that true liberation is unattainable. And it also kept them justifying the oppression. See, in many cases, the delusion of trauma can feel safe because it's all we know. We have learned how to function in the reality of it. We learned how to protect, we learned how to protect ourselves in it because being free, free from trauma makes us feel vulnerable and defenseless. So why not just coddle ourselves in the delusion of trauma, the delusion of oppression? A psychiatrist named Abraham Cartner once said, the greatest source of our suffering is the lies we tell ourselves. I'm gonna say that again. The greatest source of our suffering is the lies we tell ourselves. They believe the lie. We believe the lies. The inability to trust God for the future didn't just end there. Later on in the story, the people chose to hoard food, which is connected to control, which is connected to anxiety, which is connected to the fear of not having enough, and greed, which led them to violate the Lord's command of going out on the Sabbath. Verse 20 starts off like this. Some of them went out, and it continues on. In verse 27, it says, some of them didn't listen. They went out and did their thing. Mm. This is open rebellion. They believed the lie of God cannot be trusted, neither his goodness. This sounds a lot like Genesis 3, when the enemy whispers into Eve's ear and says, did God really say he says that message a lot to us. Did God really say? See, trauma shattered their ability to imagine. It shattered their ability to hope. It shattered their ability to create an image in their mind about a future of beauty and goodness. It's because that future in their minds 
is so fraught with remembrance of trauma and shame. It shattered everything. Therefore, when it comes to healing, they needed someone outside of themselves to begin to imagine things for them. And once they hear what that person is doing, once they see what he sees, it begins to coax their minds forward little by little, little by little. And that person is Yahweh, the Lord. See, through their trauma, he leads Israel to reimagine hope and freedom. And he does that in four ways. And I'll explain those ways. But first is proximity, closeness. Two is provision. Three is revealing himself so they may know him. And four is he offers and invites them into rest. Beginning in verse four, we see his proximity and provision when he tells Moses this. He says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. By the way, we never saw that happen. But So this is new for them. Have you ever seen food from heaven? It's almost like the, the movies, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, where all the food is coming from the sky. It's like the Lord is raining down food for them. Each day, the people can go out and pick as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On a sixth day, they will gather food. And when they prepare, there will be twice as much as usual. In the wilderness, we believe that God is MIA. That our conception of God is that he does not want anything to do with us. That he has left us to the wolves. That that's the part of God I do not like, that he takes me to the wilderness. But here, rather than punishing them, he listens to the Israelites and give them what they asked for. Remember what Pharaoh did when they groaned under his slavery. Pharaoh took straws from them to make their lives harder. Yahweh responded to their trauma and complained with raining down bread from heaven. And not only bread from heaven for one day, he does it each day. Each day until they reach a particular place. So if any of us need any convincing of God's character in the Old Testament, we need to start here that God is not different from the Old Testament and New Testament, but he is the same always, yesterday and before. So God is talking to them. He's close to them. He's giving things to them. But it doesn't just end there. He says, I would test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. When I was reading that, I was says, I said to myself, why is he testing them? They're already wounded. Why, why is he going to further on a test if they're already wounded? And what is the test? The test was this. One, the giving of manna. Two, believing by not gathering too much manna or attempting to store for the next day. 
See, through their trauma and woundedness, he was carefully teaching them how to depend and submit to his word. In Deuteronomy 8.3, it says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He taught them in their trauma. In verse 6 and 12, we witness God revealing himself so the people may know him. In verse 6, Moses is telling the people, by evening, you will realize it was the Lord. In verse 12, the Lord says to Moses, I've heard the Israelites complaining. Now tell them in the evening, you have you will have eat, you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you have all the bread you want. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Here God uses the same word for being full that the Israelites used back in verse three when they were talking about how much food they used to eat. See, God promised to feed his people until they were satisfied. This, is, was, this was only by his infinite patience and goodness with his people. But the main point in this verse is like in the wilderness, in the place where we think God is distant, God gives his people bread to show that he was the Lord. This is something that he already proven to his enemies. The Egyptians, he slaughtered them in the, the Red Sea. But now he's going to show his own people the same thing. Only he would do it by meeting their needs. See, when we experience trauma, we can lose our sense of self. We can become strangers to our own bodies, strangers to our own stories. Trauma, ten, ter, trauma turns us on ourselves. It divorces us from the earth. In the same manner with the Israelites, a people who struggle to know who they were, struggle to know the character of God. Therefore, he says this to them, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Israel's faith, our faith, our self-knowledge, Israel's self-knowledge is always connected to the knowledge of God. That is, why, that is how we connect our trauma and the freedom of trauma to the character of God, that he wants to show that he is the Lord in our woundedness. So in addition to Israel's knowing of the Lord, which I think this is the icing on the cake, in verse 23, we see God's invitation to rest. In verse 23, the scriptures read, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be the day of complete rest a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. 
So bake and boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. Keeping the Sabbath is something God does. And Israel are, Israel, the Israelites are expected to follow it. This pattern is a familiar pattern. It, and it's rooted in the beginning of Genesis. Rooted in creation. The, Israelite, the Israelites rest because God did. Adam rests because God did. We rest because God did. This new rhythm is of rest is foreign to them though. They have been working hard for generations, 400 years, working hard. And now they are invited to stop working. The point is to stop working, to slow down, to sit and process in one hand, grief, pain, anger, tiredness, while simultaneously holding in the other hand, enjoying God's company and goodness. He's calling them to rest. He's calling them to remember. He's calling them to sit under his care. See, we tend to gauge our self-worth, all of our self-worth on how much we can cram in our waking days, how much work we can cram in our waking days. I don't know about you, but if you're not working hard enough, we tend to feel guilty. We tend to feel, God, I know God loves me, but I'm not sure if he likes me because I've been sitting around. I've been resting. By any means, I'm, I'm not promoting um, laziness um, because I don't think God desires laziness, but he does call us to rest and he does call us to work. But we have got it all wrong. We have beat ourselves up into slaving our bodies to prove that our self-worth is all bottled up in working, working hard, killing ourselves over work. And if we're not producing Maybe I'm not Christian enough. We have neglected the rest for our weary souls. See, when we rest, we are depending on God to hold everything in place. Our families, our work, our bodies, creation, our money, our children, even ministry. That it is okay to trust God with rest. I was reading something in Hebrews and I was in it, and there's this scripture that talks about rest, that it, it to, in order to enter into rest, it requires faith. And I was like, why? Why can't we just kind of have rest because without faith? But there's something interesting about faith that is connected to rest because we are in the faith portion of it. We are extending it to God and saying, take this and we can walk away from it and then come back and expect that everything is there. For an example, I remember 
going out with my niece that time and we were at the park and she had one thing in her hand, but she could not play. She was having hard times with her friends and she wanted to play. And she came over to me and she said, Uncle Shaq, can you hold this while I play with my friends? And I was like, yeah. And that opportunity and invitation, she trusted me to hold that in my hand. So while she was out playing, she came back and it was in this, it was in the same thing that it was the way that she gave it to me. And that is the same thing with God. We have to give it over to him so that we can enjoy and play and delight and rest. And when we come back, we can have that thing that we have given to him the same way that we received it. So this is what reimagination looks like. This is what a future of beauty and goodness looks like. This is what a new creation looks like where God meets us in the wilderness to speak to our trauma, to reveal who he is, and to offer us true rest. Before we close in prayer, I um, have questions for us. Um, I'll read them. But in this, in this time of getting into our groups, I just give you full permission to... Um, take off your mask, take off your Christian mask of coming in and saying all the good things and saying life as well. Um, because we all carry trauma. We all carry wounds. Um, but expressing those wounds may feel vulnerable, may take a lot of courage, may take a lot of, a lot of things to do that, to share your story with someone else. I want to encourage you that your story is safe. Your story is well being shared of. It, it, it has value. Um, so in this time of being with other people, I want us to, to be vulnerable. Whether Whatever steps that may look like, I want us to, to, to enter into that vulnerability of sharing ourselves with other people. Because that's where healing starts, when we share our vulnerability with other people. The questions are this. One, where do you find yourself in the story of Exodus 16? Two, what is your coping and comfort mechanism that you go to when you feel triggered by trauma? Three, what would you do for 24 hours if the only criteria was to pursue your deepest joy? Not work, not kids, or with your kids, whatever they may be. You think about that. So uh, we're now just going to pray, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of start into the community group. So let's, if you can all bow your heads with me, and we'll we'll pray. Lord, we thank you that you hold all things together, even our bodies, Lord, even our stories of pain our stories of shame, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would move upon our hearts, that you would encourage us to share what you want us to share. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us know for sure that you are in the wilderness with us, that we are not alone, 
that you are not distant, but you are close and speaking to us, telling us to behold, telling us to look. I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring provision and healing and freedom and hope. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.